Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Zen Up, a podcast produced by Sunbury Press's Book Speak Network, and you are on episode 10. I am your host, Susan Kiskis. In the show, we bring two worlds together, wellness and spirituality. From yoga to Buddhism, eating healthy to turning dreams into reality, listeners will find themselves on a journey into their own virtual spiritual pilgrimage. If you want to continue the conversation after the show, Visit my Facebook page, Yogic Living with Susan, or sign up for my weekly newsletter at susankisskiss.com. My guest today is Buddhist nun Kelsang Chunzin. Kelsang Chunzin has been practicing <clears throat> Kadampa Buddhism for 15 years under the guidance of Venerable Gacy Kelsang Gyatso and his senior teachers, and has been ordained for 13 years. She's a teacher at the Harrisburg Buddha Center in Pennsylvania. Kelsang, welcome to Zen Up. Well, thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thank you so much. I'm really delighted yeah. to, um, to open this conversation up with you. This is something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And I thought uh-huh. we would just start off, though, for people who are um, maybe newbies to Buddhism or have kind of mm-hmm. heard about it but haven't really um, had the background in it. If we could just talk a little bit about how Buddhism is uh, like other world religions kind of split into different groups and a little bit about uh-huh. what your group, your group comes from. So I think we were talking about there's Hinayana and Mahayana and yeah. your practice comes from the Mahayana and your practice is yeah. Kadampa Buddhism. Yeah. It's a heart path. It's a, uh, a lot of our teachings are saying, you know, bring the teachings from your head down into your heart and then live them. Mm. So it, it teaches a lot of, uh, love and compassion, how to love more, how to be more tolerant and accepting. It's very uh, um, user-friendly, very um, practical in our daily world. That's wonderful. And I think that that was the one thing, too, that you had briefly mentioned to me when we were planning for the show. And, and I was uh-huh. just reading um, a little bit more about the Kadampa practice. And it, it is completely derived out of that, um, taking the practice of Buddhism and applying it to daily life. Um, so that it's yeah, not something yeah. that's very out there. But can you talk a little bit more about your own personal path um, to, well, to Buddhism and Kadampa? Sure. I, um, I was raised on the West Coast during the 60s, and I was always a spiritual seeker. You know, so I, I explored different pathways, uh, but I never found anything that was as complete as Buddhism. Buddhism really just explains life. Oh, it's such a relief. I thought, why did I be <laughs> in kindergarten, you know? <laughs> um, you know, but it just it explains life and the way things function and what to do to gradually create a better and better future for yourself. So it's really, um, it just has uh, teachings that make your daily life better and better and increase your capacity to love and increase the love that comes to you. Yeah. Uh, 
That's quite beautiful. Quite lovely and usable. Yeah. Now, Buddhism is one of the um, one of the oldest, I think, living religions, if I'm not mistaken. And yeah, yeah. everyone has seen different forms of the Buddha. I remember um, my sister and I talking one time, and she, you know, her and I grew up Catholic, and she, one of her uh-huh. um, best friends is uh, grew up Buddhist. So, um, you know, she would make the joke that when um, she'd go to her friend's house, her friend would say, you know, because her mother is very, very, um, I don't know which which part of Buddhism, she's just like, just rub the Buddha's belly, <laughs> you know, and, you know, and just right. like, that's all you have to do is pay your respects, and I'm thinking, I never thought about rubbing the Buddha's body or belly, but I have, like, Buddha heads <laughs> all over my, my house, and my husband and I have been to uh, different Buddhist nice. um, sites in India, and in, um, nice. we've seen different temples in, in Thailand, and there's, the Buddha takes nice. so many different forms, and what I find right, really amazing right is how it's, it's been adapted and integrated into different cultures. Right, right. It's very adaptable. And, uh, you know, uh, what I really like, too, is like Buddha himself said that enlightened beings are born in every religious tradition as teachers, not just Buddhism. Because it's, you mm-hmm. know, Buddhism, like Buddha was an Indian prince. He was next to uh, take the, cr- the throne. So he was almost a king. Um, but when he would go into town, he would see the suffering of his people. He thought, what use are all my riches and being a king if I can't find an answer to suffering? So that's when he left the palace and uh, meditated in the woods and attained enlightenment. And so Buddhism is, is for everybody. It's not just for Easterners. It's just like Buddha came to show the way out of suffering, out of unhappiness to anyone that is interested. It's really, it's so kind. You know? uh, oh, I love that. I, I love it. that you that you brought that story up because the one of the things that was so impactful to me was that when Buddha was all of us seeking something more and trying uh-huh. to find our way out of suffering, he inadvertently was finding more suffering, right? Because I remember in part of India, you go to the place where he was, he thought that complete deprivation would provide the state of enlightenment. Well, that was the current theory at that time is that asceticism would bring you to enlightenment. So he practiced asceticism for a while, but then he realized it's not the way to um, to be able to concentrate and live in the world. You need a healthy body. Uh, so he, he left that and then kind of forged his own path, uh, realizing that uh, uh, opening your heart and opening yourself to spiritual energy, that you could t- attain enlightenment that way, not through uh, abusing your body through asceticism. They were very extreme in those times. So, uh, he, <laughs> he, taught, he really taught a, a moderate way, but it's very profound. I mean, Buddhism teaches a complete path to enlightenment. It's so lovely. Not everything does. There are many wonderful paths in the world, and um, some of them are complete, and some of them are good but partial paths. Um, but Buddhism is, is a complete path to enlightenment. One of the, not the only one, but one of them. I think that one of the things that's really successful about um, the Buddhist philosophy, why in, in terms of drawing people into to learn more, and yeah. um, and why we're going to talk about in a moment why Buddhism is is uh, become so relevant and can and will be relevant in our modern age, is right. that Buddha is not he's not to be revered. He's a teacher, and it seems like he and his students have always reminded us that he's not someone that you place your stock in that he's someone that you look to as a teacher because he had his attempts and his failures, 
and then he finally succeeded, and these are the steps that he did in order to achieve his, you know, his success in reaching enlightenment. And all the things, uh-huh. like you're talking about, that he saw, he came from a place of complete privilege, and he saw right, pain right. and suffering, and he wanted to do something about it. So, we, you know, we think a lot of times how there's things that we can't do to help others. But for him, it was that act of seeing people suffer. It's how do I help other people when they're suffering? How do I help my own suffering? And, and, and through that practice of trial and error, he finally finds this, what Buddhists call right, the middle path which is not too right. much, not too little. Right. <laughs> uh, well, Buddhists tend to be very gentle and moderate. Um, you know, and it's exploring um, Buddhism. You know, Buddha was a, became an enlightened being. And one of his, uh, my most favorite teachings of Buddha is that every sentient being, every being on the planet that has a mind will eventually be enlightened. Some people will take longer if they're, kind of um, engaging in really hurtful actions. It'll be a long road for them. Others that are concentrating, it'll be a faster road to enlightenment. Everybody reaches it in the end. So I like it. There's not an in-group and an out-group. There's only one big in-group. Some people going slower, some people going faster. So, um, and, and Buddha specifically said when he was teaching, because he was a very, um, he talked to all levels and to all um, different needs. And he said, don't believe what I say just because I'm Buddha. Okay? Um, believe it because you uh, take the, because the, the teachings make sense. They make logical sense to you. And because when you try them out, your experience tells you that they work. But don't just believe me blind, blind faith. Buddhism is not into blind faith at all. <laughs> it really allows you to, <laughs> to question and to uh, keep your intelligence about you. It doesn't. Require you to, it doesn't require to, you to believe anything. It lays out this wonderful description of how life works, um, but it doesn't make you, isn't dogmatic about saying you have to believe this to be on the in crowd. <laughs> you know, it's like it lays it out and you take your own journey um, as you explore um, because everybody will come in differently and uh, different parts will appeal to different people. Like, you know, meditation will be some people's entryway. Classes and theory will be another. Heart practice, you know, and um, being uh, a loving being, that will be what will really uh, speak to other people. Uh, Mantra, prayer, uh, you know, people enter in whatever way they make sense to them, and then gradually all paths lead to the center. So eventually you do everything, but uh, uh, there's no dogmatism about you have to believe this or that. There's never that dogmatism, never. I think that's one of the unique things, too, about um, Buddhism in general, is that despite uh-huh. its many different varied um, groups, you know, of, mm-hmm. of right ways of, of the Buddhist, you know, taking that as an umbrella, a religion, mm-hmm. it, um, every single group seems to have a mutual respect and understanding for each other and openness to learning right. from each other, and I um, and I think that that is sometimes rare in world religions in general to have that flexibility of what this particular practice that I have at the end of the day, even though it's different than yours, we have the same common goal. And, right. and I, well, that's one right. of the things I find to be so wonderful. And I think that's why um, we can start to apply how Buddhism is so important and can be and continues to thrive in the modern age is because it is so yeah. flexible. It is flexible. Our traditions in forty different countries 
and uh, in every country it will it will still be the same beautiful pure teachings of Buddha, but it will adjust. The books will be in the language of that country, and it'll adjust to the uh, customs of that country. So it's we're not like uh, uh, my teacher was a Tibetan monk since he was eight. He's written 23 books, which is quite lovely. <laughs> and he's wow. spent 20 years in meditation retreat. I know, really, he's quite prolific, really focused worker. It takes two assistants to keep up with him, because he, and he's 88. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's in, in every country, the books are always translated into the language of that country. And while keeping the purity of Buddhist, tradition, uh, Buddhist teachings, you know, not changing the the teaching itself, the presentation will be changed so that it's reasonable. Like, you know, in America, we don't, we don't practice like Tibetan Buddhists. You know, we practice like mm-hmm. Americans because we're, we live in, this, in a modern society. And, and his life goal was to bring the teachings of Buddhism, Buddhism into the modern world. They're useful to people of modern times because we, we all need some kind of way to approach our spiritual life. It's, we need it. It's, it's, otherwise, it's just you... You know, it's just like not enough. You know, we can we can do everything, but it's still you, when you don't have a spiritual life. You always there's a little bit of feeling of restlessness, like something's missing. It's like you know, you bake a cake, you have to add the vanilla. You know, mm-hmm. uh, so <laughs> yeah, you know, we uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so I love it. So for listeners who, again, are new to, to Buddhism, one of the things we're mm-hmm. talking about in, in, um, for adapting to different cultures is that in many um, Asian countries, when it comes yeah. to um, the cultural traditions of Buddhism, there's practices like we don't put our feet towards our teacher or the altar. Uh-huh. Um, there are altars of Buddha that uh, flowers are offered and food is offered and light is offered. Uh-huh. Um, uh-huh, and yeah. so these, these practices are incredibly beautiful, but they're not, you know, in, in our culture it's required because we're not used to having that set up in our homes and going to temples where we are doing these offerings. And money right. is a huge exchange here where in a lot of Asian countries, we would have our Buddhist monks and nuns like, come down to the village with a bowl and, and we would contribute food for the daily meal. Um, right, right. So, but in here, it's the donations in order to help keep these programs going because we don't have that um, caring for our spiritual leaders in this country as other, like the Asian, some of the Asian countries would have. Right, yeah. They they're, have been practicing Buddhism for a very long time and they have a great respect for the ordained. In our tradition, um, all the ordained support themselves because our teacher Geshe says it takes an awful lot of merit, burns up a lot of <laughs> merit or positive energy to be supported. So everybody supports themselves, and somehow, magically, if you're a monk or a nun, you are able to live really simply and um, put things together. Now, teachers of uh, a center will uh, get a small stipend, like $300 a month. You know, and other people that are not teachers, but they're still working a job, um, they'll, you know, they'll have their own uh, job, but they'll work very simply. So it's like, you know, the modern ordain, we don't expect uh, people to support us, you know, uh, which is, uh, it, it's nice because we don't understand that in America. We don't have begging bowls. I mean, if I went down to downtown, Harrisburg with a begging bowl, people would think I was a homeless person or something, you know, <laughs> it, it, it would be not understandable. You know, we just live like, we live like Americans. In different countries, the customs will differ, 
it will differ, but uh, in each country, we need the kind of um, system and uh, mental structures that work for us. So I like that. Yeah, it reminds me of in India, there is a church, like a Catholic church, where I saw, um, I had not visited there, but there was a picture, and it had, like, no benches, no pews, and it was uh-huh. because, like, the Indian culture is so used to sitting on the ground, that in this Catholic church, right. there's no pews, because everyone sits on the ground, so it is, it is beautiful how, you know, we can adapt, and Buddhism is very open to that. One of the things oh, yeah. I think, it, it, there's so many things that I think that Buddhism just contributes to everyday life that can help us really find um, so many different ways to find peace and um, find right. a sense of right. belonging. But one of them that I feel so important that we don't even think about, we don't seek, is that Buddhism helps us with a sense of self-responsibility. Right, and, right. Yeah. I'm wondering if you could talk it's, a little bit about that. Well, I think Buddhism is a very ultimately responsible religion because it does say that, you know, all your actions matter, whether it's a physical action or something that you say or something that you think, they all matter. And they all kind of will, uh, the more that you tune your actions to be like an ethical, just good person, just a decent person, you know, and the more that you um, practice um, cherishing others in whatever way is appropriate, in whatever setting, the more compassionate you are, you're like building this um, through your own response, taking responsibility to make your actions good. Think about what you're doing. Um, then you create a better and better future life for yourself because you're engaging more and more in positive activities. Um, and then in Buddhism, they say that um, the mind functions on the principle of familiarity. So the more we become familiar with being positive, loving, kind, generous still you know still drawing your boundaries we're not talking about being a doormat <laughs> but, uh, love, I mean, whenever i teach on love i always get the doormat question you know and i just think you know <laughs> you can be a profoundly loving person and be very strong and very clear you know they aren't contradictory um so in fact i've heard one quote is that the great beings uh oh actually one quote i like better is that we have found a boundless source of of uh, a bounty. Uh, we found a boundless source of energy and happiness within our own heart, our love for others. So you just think we we seek the answers within ourselves, uh, where um, we have all the things that we need to within ourselves to keep developing, 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 all the way to enlightenment. We can all reach enlightenment. Um, our teachers always said that which is encouraging. <laughs> it's not just the cool guys that are yogis out in the cave that can get enlightened. <laughs> you can get enlightened as an American <laughs> sitting in a chair, you know. <laughs> our, our tradition is very egalitarian, like the head of the order right now is a woman, uh, a nice heartfelt Irish woman. And, um, mm. and Geshe has apologized for the chauvinism of previous times, you know, because, you know, in many cultures, you know, Tibetan culture was no exception uh, there was a kind of a chauvinism of honoring the male practitioners more than the women. So I guess was apologize for that inequality. And many, 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 many teachers probably, oh, I don't know, it's probably about half and half are, are taught by women, you know, centers throughout our country, mm. throughout the world. Many are taught by women and many are taught by men. It's about half and half, actually. So I like that That's quite wonderful. a lot, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. It is. I think that... Um, it helps give children 
different mm-hmm. faces to look at, you know, growing up to yeah. to learn from. And then they recognize that, you know, teachers come in all um, genders right. and, and uh, cultural right. backgrounds. Right. So there's and you don't have one to... of the things. Oh, sorry. No, go ahead. Go on. Yeah. Well, I was just saying one of the things, too, in, in our tradition, um, probably probably a majority of the teachers are ordained because these are tend to be the most dedicated folks and you can move them around easily because <laughs> they've uh, <laughs> given up a lot of things. <laughs> but we also have many lay teachers, like the head of um, of all England is a lay person who's uh, married, has four children. Her husband uh, does artwork for our tradition, uh, the you know drawings and the, face, the faces of Buddha and helps with the statues. You know, and she's a layperson with kids, you know, <laughs> and very funny. And I find in our tradition, almost all the teachers are funny, which I like quite a lot. It's like, <laughs> it shows, like, not taking yourself too seriously, you know, but just mm. being able to uh, be happy and enjoy life and not be having a big fat ego that has to look cool all the time. You know, you're, you just are a little more relaxed about who you are, which I find very lovely. Yeah. It's, uh, Do you think it's that's kind of all right to be happy? Then, does it subscribe yeah. to a sense of just self-acceptance? Uh, you see, how would I describe it? Uh, it prescribes to a sense that we aren't um, we aren't as important as we think we are. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we we tend to in the West we are we're ambitious, we push, we sometimes step on other people. It's like that whole thing of me first kind of thing. You know, it's like and then you're second, you know, uh, number one kind of thing. Uh, Buddhism is very much uh, uh, believes in the um, kind of self-effacing isn't quite the right word, but it's like not making a big deal of yourself. You know, just being, you know, kind of just relaxed and humble about who you are. You don't have to strut around. You don't have to prove anything. You can just be who you are, and that's acceptable. Uh, so it's it teaches uh, you to be not so mm, thinking that you yourself yourself <laughs> is so important, mm-hmm. you know. But that uh, what we're you know what we're doing in this world is trying to contribute positive energy to help heal our world, and that's what it's about: trying to heal our world and contribute in a positive way. I think that that moves also into a little bit about um, if we're able to understand that we are a small piece of this beautiful space uh, and that every other yeah. person is this spark of light. Um, that yes. Buddhism also teaches, <laughs> teaches compassion. And which, oh, totally. you know, yeah. you and I were talking about here we are, we are both sitting in our perspective spaces, not in the same space. Uh-huh. Um, I know uh-huh. what you look like, but I'm not looking into your eyes. And uh-huh. it becomes so easy on, you know, social media and, you know, whether it's Facebook or Reddit or Instagram or right. Snapchat or what have you mm-hmm. to be able to distance yourself so much from the other person that you're talking with that you can create stories oh, yeah. in your head of who they are and what their intentions right. are. But when you're sitting face to face with some with someone and you don't want to, uh-huh. give them, you don't want to create pain because you can see that in their eyes and their face. Right. And so I right, think Buddhism yeah, is yeah. so wonderful for today's day and age. We're becoming more and more separated uh, to remind mm-hmm. us of compassion. Would you speak more about that? Well, yeah, it's a, 
a really big topic. Uh, one of our teachings is that every single being is equally important. And in the eyes of the enlightened beings, they just look at us and they see everybody equally important, whether they're a beggar on the street that's having a real hard time or whether it's somebody in a high position. Everybody's equally important. Uh, so that kind of softens your heart when and softens your obsession with yourself. Um, I guess I said, one reason we don't cherish others so much is that is our obsessive self-concern, you know, and we are... <laughs> <laughs> we are often just um, we, we think mostly we think about ourselves am I too hot am I too cold am I getting what I want am I happy am I unhappy you know do they respect me do they not respect me you know it's like we're um, it just goes on and on this focus on ourselves and it because we're we tend to be more focused on ourselves and Geshe says it's not because we're bad people it's just that we've had that self-focus since beginningless time uh, so if we loosen that up we uh, we naturally have love and compassion Wood himself said our essential being is loving and compassionate it's like a gold nugget that can be encrusted in dirt but you take a gold nugget and you wash it off the dirt goes away the negative minds like uh, irritation or anger or judgment or criticism those can be washed away through practice you know and you're left with the essential goodness um, because you know, what is said, our, our essential being is loving and compassionate, and you, you can kind of tell that experientially. Because when you're feeling in a loving mood, you always feel good. Or when you're being compassionate and caring about somebody else's suffering and trying to help them, you always feel good. You know, so you can prove to yourself that love and compassion are uh, essential to our nature. Because they, when we relax, those come out. You know. Love is a natural state of our being. Mm. I love mm-hmm. that. And there is a beautiful um, you know, meditation practice, right? The metta meditation. I see that again. About love it. Uh, there's a beautiful pra- meditation practice in Buddhism about all about loving kindness. Oh, yeah. There's lots of uh, different variations on loving kindness. One um, beautiful um, uh, meditation on loving kindness I heard is that uh, if you sit and you know and you're meditating, first you meditate on loving and spreading kindness and everything people need to all people of the world. Then you uh, meditate on loving kindness and sending happiness and peace to all the animals in the world. Then you meditate on happiness and love for all beings in all six realms within samsara, and that everybody can get out. Samsara is just our painful life, and it's. Uh, uh, Temporary, <laughs> we can move beyond it. So uh, that's a good, that's good news. <laughs> uh, one of the things yeah. that you were talking about um, a little bit earlier was um, about how Buddhism challenges you to practice, um, right. you know, right. practice meditation, practice some of the philosophies in your daily life. Uh, mm-hmm. in order to see whether you find truth in that. And I think, again, one of the wonderful things that Buddhism offers is, and that goes back to, in a sense, of self-responsibility, is, don't, you know, Buddha saying, like, don't take my word for it. You go right, right. and do this practice and see how it feels. Exactly what you're talking about, you know, with, with the feeling of compassion, that love. It's, well, you, you know, that if you practice compassion, you know, prove to yourself then you're going to feel that sense of wonder and joy after you do something nice for someone or you, you know, you're right, compassionate right. with someone. And so I love the fact that Buddhism really challenges you to 
um, debate philosophies and to practice them and within yourself, challenge yourself to see whether or not they would work for you. Um, I'm wondering if you've ever experienced that any, um, in, you know, with any of your uh, teachers where they've had, you know, a philosophical debates or um, any experiences you've had for yourself where you've had to challenge to see the truth for yourself. Well, it's the whole journey is an inward journey. Uh, I regularly go to the larger gatherings. We have um, national festivals, regional festivals, international festivals. Um, you know, and I, I always, and I think everybody that's a serious student is always challenging yourself to learn more so that you keep growing. It's not like there's ever a point short of enlightenment where you sort of sit on your laurels. You're always, uh, <laughs> <laughs> you're always trying to, uh, <laughs> you know, because until we reach enlightenment, we have something more to learn, you know. So if we're humble about that, we just keep learning. We keep, you know, trying every day to be uh, more positive, more loving, more kind, more generous, more ethical, you know. And it all goes with, uh, it creates greater and greater inner strength. So it's um, uh, not, um, being loving is not different than being strong. It's being strong in the most uh, profound kind of way. One can be both very strong, very firm, very definite, and uh, also extremely loving and compassionate, which uh, I like quite a lot. I like mm. very much. Yeah. yeah, I'm not sure if I answered that like, question thoroughly. I think so. I think it's it, it is. It, I think it goes back to again, like you're talking about the the self experience. That the only way to really understand all these things is by practicing, because it's all about your journey. Right, and it's it's also. Uh, you practice communally, too. Like in Buddhism, they say there's the three jewels. The Buddha mm-hmm. jewel, the enlightened mind, which is in all traditions. Um, Dharma jewel, or the spiritual teachings. And the Sangha jewel, which is spiritual community. Um, the teacher, uh, Gen Sampton, who's a 40-year practitioner, and he is the teacher at our national center in upstate New York, big, beautiful golden temple. It's really lovely. He says, we don't walk this path alone. We walk it in company. Mm-hmm. You're always doing your... <clears throat> your practice and learning, but you uh, learn from others as well. You learn from your teachers, you learn from your sangha or your spiritual comrades. You're always learning, 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 learning. Like, uh, well, for instance, in the center here, our uh, central AC went out, so it was really getting hot, you know, and uh, the <laughs> the this is during the, the hot part of the, the season, and I had a guest, too, um, you know, so it was really hot in the house, and we we're thinking, oh, we just have to go somewhere. This is too hot. And the AD was being a little bit slow about um, getting the air conditioners in the for the individual units. But one of the main people just showed up with a big, beautiful air conditioner, one of those kinds that stands upright, uh, just mm-hmm. showed up and installed it and everything like that to make sure that I was comfortable because they were thinking, just a minute, how is it that we don't know what's really happening? So they just made sure that we were okay that day because it was one of those days that you had heat warnings in Pennsylvania. So um, <laughs> it was just, you know, just uh, kindness that is just from the heart and that just so natural comes when you think about other people. You think about what do they need? You know, how can I help them in their personal growth? So it's we we take personal responsibility for our own growth, but we're very uh, community-oriented too. It's it's not a um, go away to the cave tradition, practice all by yourself. 
it's you practicing community, you learn from each other, you try and help the world. I mean, the Mahayana tradition, it's you seek enlightenment so that you can help the world uh, mm. because you care about the state of the world. So it's, it's different than just um, seeking knowledge just for yourself. So it's kind of two-pronged. You, you practice diligently yourself, but you're also in community and you also learn from each other. Which is so important for people um, today. There's, uh, I, yeah. I have a tendency to talk with person after person after person who's fine in the world today. Yeah. Uh, they don't yeah. feel they have the connection anymore. And I, yeah. um, and I love how you're, yeah, I love how you're talking about the, you know, the, the Sangha, the, the level of importance yeah. because it, yeah. it is, um, it's, it's so much that, that is offered there. It's that feeling of belonging. It's the people that you can yeah. use to, to learn from and choose, you know, and yeah. teach through action. Um, and that's uh-huh. so important. I love uh, that you actually have with your group. And for anyone that is in the Pennsylvania area, you can go to meditationpa.org. Uh-huh. Um, and there's always yes. events that your group is doing to, you know, having yes. it to get your location and, and outreach, um, to really cultivate that sangha. Yeah, well, we have we spread out to uh, our mother centers in Harrisburg in a very safe and beautiful area of Harrisburg uh, near the Riverfront Park and near Italian Lakes. Just in the north part of Harrisburg, really beautiful, safe part of this city. So nice. Um, but we, you know, there's always there's always that community aspect, and we we reach out to do we do classes in Camp Hill. Uh, an after work um, meditation and class for people on their way home that don't want to come out again. Uh, so we teach in Camp Hill and York and Lancaster. So kind of bringing the teachings out to the area, uh, the surrounding area, so that you know you don't have to necessarily come to our center. You, you start in your hometown <laughs> because that's quite a bit easier. And then if you wish, you can explore and do more things. You know. For those of you that don't live in the the greater or the south central Pennsylvania area, you can go find out more information um, also at kadampa.org, K-A-D-A-M-P-A.org. And there's a section there where you can actually find your local meditation center um, to yes. find your own your own sangha group um, to, to join yeah. up with. Yeah. Well, you know, in throughout the state, there's about 45 um, major centers, some bigger, some smaller, but they all have branches where they go out and teach once a week. So like maybe you're someplace where you there isn't a center per se, but there's a branch that happens once a week. Like when I go to York once a week, you know, we don't have a center there, but we teach there every week. We've done it for years and years and years, you know? So it's like That's there's wonderful. always something. Yeah, thank you for giving the references for people that wish to explore. It's, it's helpful because we need, <laughs> we need something. We need something in this modern world that's missing from our society, you know? And also Absolutely. in our tradition, we we don't say you know that we don't advocate distancing from your your partner or your job or your children or anything like that. It's like, but adding the the spiritual dimension that makes all of those things more meaningful and more loving. You love your partner better. You at work you're more tolerant and uh, compassionate to others. You're respectful of your children. You know, it's like you take the teachings and you integrate them. You um, infuse your daily life with this spiritual energy that makes everything work better. You love better. You work better. You 
you live and die better, you know, <laughs> with lots of uh, instructions on how to die, you know, it's like, it's just information we need, you know, otherwise we're just, you know, uh, we're just punting. We don't really quite know, but Buddhism is extremely ancient. It's um, the Buddha, Buddha Shakyamuni, the prince that we talked about, uh, that was 2,600 years ago, but he wasn't the first founding Buddha. There were three founding Buddhas before him. It goes back into ancient, uh, you know, ancient, ancient time that the teachings mm. were being um, shared. So it's, um, uh, it's interesting. It's rich. It's rich and it's uh, sophisticated and it's, it de- really describes accurately <laughs> why things happen, what to do, how to create a better life for yourself. It's just uh, it's so much good information. And it's, and it's non-dogmatic. You could go to a Buddhist center for 30 years and nobody would ever bug you to become Buddhist, that you had to believe certain things. You, there's a great respect for your own journey and uh, what you wish to be doing and at what pace you wish to study. Just a lot of respect, which I, I like quite a lot. Um, I love that you actually brought that up because I think that there's people who are interested in... Uh, learning more about Buddhism or meditation, but are concerned that mm-hmm. it might conflict with their personal spiritual beliefs. But like you know, like well, you're just saying, there's a space for for both. There is actually, and it's very respectful. And we find often that uh, you know, good Christians will come to a, a Buddhist center just because it helps them learn a little bit more about Christianity, like the basic mm-hmm. uh, teaching. You know, love your neighbor as yourself. Hey. That could be a Buddhist teaching. We use slightly different words, but it's the same teaching. You know, love everyone equally. Don't just be so uh, ego-centered. But it's it's very safe to explore a Buddhist center because nobody jumps on you and wants you to become Buddhist or sign up for anything. You just you're free to come and learn at your own pace, and uh, and uh, you can keep your own religion without ever being harangued for it because it's that's not the point of Buddhism. The point of Buddhism is to share information to help our world uh, improve, to help yourself and the, the world improve. So it's a different goal than converting people. So uh, Buddhism is not into con- conversion and forcing people and dogmatizing. It's just very um, it's about information sharing and providing information that can make people feel happier and more peaceful in their daily life. So that's the point of Buddhism is to really help our society and help people be happier and more peaceful. Yeah. My, um, one of my friends, he's, he gave me a book yesterday. Um, cause it, mm-hmm. uh, it was a Hindu sadhu, this um, holy man who, uh, mm-hmm. was quoted as saying this house is on fire. And my husband was going, well, what does that mean? That there's like a literal fire, you know, cause a lot of times with these, you know, um, sages, they have these crazy stories and uh, uh-huh. the story is that he was, um, I believe, in his 80s or so, and he knew that his time on this earth was very limited, and he was telling uh-huh. everyone, you know, for me, like, this house, his body, his mind is on fire. It's, you don't know how long it's going to last for. Come get all the right. knowledge you can and you want right. and take it from me because right. I can't take it with me. And I love, and I, you know, I love that quote, but it reminds me just of just, um, you know, a lot of the Buddhist teachers that I've met in my life, how everyone's so willing to share information and it's not hidden. Yeah. It's not yeah. withheld. You don't have to study for yeah. so long to get it. You just show yeah. up and you yeah. ask and yeah. you, all you have to do is ask and you get all these answers. And, um, and it doesn't yeah. mean that yeah. you don't like the answers. 
or they're going to solve your world's uh-huh. problems. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> it's, 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 it's all there for you to take. Right, right. It's a, yeah, it really is about sharing and uh, giving information for happy, for greater happiness, greater peace, you know, because we really can be happier and more peaceful than we are. We just, it's, it's like we just never quite learned the tools. You know, we grow up in a society where we're taught, <laughs> we're taught that we're going to be happy if we're successful, which means, you know, making money, having a good reputation, having a good job in the right company and marrying the right partner and the right house in the right district. And we're taught to seek our happiness in external things. And it's sort of like you can spend your whole life readjusting all the externals and not pay enough attention to developing your spiritual life, which is really where you find the the lasting happiness. You know, it's when you develop yourself internally. Then, you know, you can be more comfortable with a great variety of, of traditions. Of, of situations, like um, my teacher, Geshe Kel, saying after 40 years of studying in the great monasteries of Tibet, he fled for his life when the Chinese invaded uh, with the clothes on his back, a begging bowl for one meal a day, two very slender books, and a tiny amount of money. That was it, fleeing for his life. And in his a book, uh, How to Solve Our Human Problems, which is about how to overcome anger and irritation and to... Uh, practice being able to just accept life do what you do and then be able to accept and be easy with your life Uh, he said there's no situation that's so hard that it can't be met with an open accepting and and accommodating mind and i thought that's quite a lot for somebody who had to flee for his life you know um that you can accept any situation as you uh become more practiced so that's uh uh, I think uh, a good model that we can, the more we can um, kind of roll with the punches. We do everything we do to um, create the outcome we want, but we can handle different circumstances arising. They don't have to be a certain way for us to be happy. We can be happy in a lot of different circumstances. Like <laughs> when I was when I was asked to come to Harrisburg, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I would be, had been living in the big, uh, very busy. Um, beautiful Buddhist center in Baltimore, a lovely center, and living in a house with five other ordained and, you know, nice temple with the eight-foot golden Buddha, you know, it just passes all the time. (laughs) And I was asked to come to Harrisburg because they needed a teacher here. And a week and a half later, I was out, you know, lock, stock, and barrel, you know, and, um, (laughs) you know, and I thought, you know, I get better at this as I go along, because <laughs> that would have been impossible even two years earlier, you know. Um, but gradually you learn more flexibility because you, oh, and in our tradition too, you're <clears throat> never ordered to do something, okay? It's, it really respects the individual freedom. You're asked, would you be happy to go to Harrisburg, go here, go there? Would you be happy to do this? And you can say yes or no. You're not... Um, sent somewhere like say maybe a catholic nun might be you're always asked would you be willing to do this you know would you be happy to do this you know and then if you can you say yes and if you really can't be happy doing it then you say oh no i can't do that you know so it's it's, a respect (laughs) it respects the freedom of people and and their wishes you know which i like quite a lot it's it's never we're never ordered around you know which is quite nice you know 
for people that you, you probably need a lot of students as um, from the classes and interactions that you have that uh-huh. uh, when you invite them to meditate, they say, or they come and ask you, and they say they have a hard time meditating because their mind is so busy. Right. Um, right. That's and wondering That's normal, you know. That's normal, yeah. It's normal so when you start. <laughs> and you can address that with our, our <laughs> listeners today who many of them may have the same, same question and, and, or feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. First of all, we need to recognize that we're, most of us are starting to learn meditation as adults, okay? We live in a very busy, hyper society where it's a natural, na- national drink where you drive around like crazy on freeways. You watch TV where everything's really fast, fast, fast. We're, um, so it's, not, it's quite normal that when we start meditation that our mind would be hard to control. And sometimes we feel like when we start meditation that we, uh, our mind is busier than it was before but it's actually that we're just noticing because we're being still how busy our mind is all the time um but i think some good advice for uh meditation and i got this from um ken sampton who went on a three-year silent retreat before he became the uh was assigned or asked to be the teacher at the national center in um upstate new york he said it took me a while in my retreat before i realized that Meditation was not about ambition. It wasn't about accomplishing stuff and pushing, you know, but it was about relaxing and enjoying what your mind was focusing on, okay? Like maybe you might be meditating on increasing your kindness towards other people in your life. That would be your object of meditation. Now, the distractions will definitely come up, uh, but if you basically just know that... um, they're only part of your mind. And if the more you relax, the more they can dissolve. And if you just keep bringing your mind back gently without self-recrimination, just keep your mind, bringing your back mind, say your mind back to what you're trying to concentrate on, like greater kindness in your life. The distractions will gradually soften and, and uh, gradually dissolve. But when we get upset about our distractions, we're giving them energy. So whatever you pay attention to, um, you get more of, you know. So if you get all upset because you're, uh, you have distractions, which of course we all do. We're Americans. We're learning meditation gradually, okay? And gradual is the key word. It's just persistence. If you're persistent in practicing, it will gradually get better and better until you find uh, a way of like a kind of a quiet cave within your heart that you can go to. Uh, to find comfort when you're upset or when you're getting off balance. You, you've created a, a quiet space within your mo- own heart that you can go to. But you have to be really patient and kind with yourself. People go into meditation like, am I going to get an A on this meditation? <laughs> you know, and it's like, <laughs> oh, I was a failure. My mind wondered I was a failure, you know. And you think, if, how, when you're doing an activity, if you structure it so that every time you engage in that activity, you feel like a failure, how much are you going to want to engage in that activity? After a while, you won't keep it because every time you're set, you've set it up that you're going to feel like a failure if you don't have see stars and rainbows and have great realizations. You know, So you set yourself up to feel like a failure every time you practice your meditation, which is just tragic because then you give it up. You know, It's just who wants to feel like a failure all the time, you know? And uh, my teacher says that uh, every time we meditate, every time we meditate, uh, without exception, um, 
it we are planning no matter how it goes we are planting the seeds for future peace we're planting the seeds for future peace so you think every meditation is successful and that we're training our mind we're working on gradually letting our um, distractions dissolve gradually gradually uh, and we're developing ourselves it's the it's the way we develop ourselves to enlightenment is through uh, meditation you know and and just even just meditating just to find relaxation and calm is lovely you know yeah. and um i'd um i can find the book i will uh, read a nice uh, quote about about encouragement in that in that respect because we need to be so kind to ourselves and so encouraging as we're learning to meditate because we just uh it's hard it's hard for us we live in a very distracted society so it's very um difficult so let me just read this this is from the book uh the new meditation handbook which is um 21 stair step meditations that lead you deeper and deeper into the spiritual path and was put together by akisha a thousand years ago when he was asked by the king of tibet to uh synthesize buddhism into something that people could understand point and use at that point, Buddhism was highly scholarly and just difficult, and hardly anybody could do it except the people that were studying in the monasteries. But the king asked, Akisha, please give something to my people so they can understand it. So he condensed, because he was an enlightened being himself, he condensed all of Buddha's teachings into 21 daily meditations that you can go to, kind of like skip stair steps, again and again, every three weeks. Um, so this is a quote from that. When the turbulence of distracting thoughts subsides and our mind becomes still, our deep happiness and contentment naturally arise from within. This feeling of contentment and well-being help us, helps us cope with the busyness and difficulties of daily life. So much of the stress, tension, and worries we normally experience come from our mind. And many of the problems we experience, including poor health, are caused or aggravated by this stress. Just by doing breathing meditation, and I'll, I can tell you how to do that in just a minute, for 10 or 15 minutes a day, we'll be able to reduce the stress. We'll experience a calm, spacious feeling uh, in the mind, and many of our usual problems will disappear. Uh, difficult situations become easier to deal with. This is all gradual. We'll naturally feel warm and friendly towards other people, and our relationships with others will gradually improve. So it, it's, I, I like it. He says when we still our mind, a sense, a natural feeling of inner peace can naturally arise. You know, it can happen this extent and naturally arises from within once we still the thought, uh, the distracting thought. But if we have to be persistent. We have to be just really gentle with ourselves. And I can absolutely guarantee this personally because I started out as a very, very terrible meditator. I could not concentrate on anything. <laughs> <laughs> but I was also very, <laughs> I was also very stubborn, <laughs> so I kept at it, and, <laughs> and gradually I've learned to um, have meditate, <laughs> have meditation be something that like uh, is like balm on my mind. It's like peace and it's like quiet happiness. And so I can guarantee you that if you stay with it, you'll gradually, and gradual is a pivotal word you'll gradually um, more uh, a sense of peace and a greater sense of happiness. If we're relaxed and peaceful about life, we're naturally more happy than if we're striving and pushing and judging ourselves. 
you know, that's the American way of life, self-judgment mm -hmm. and uh, ambition and, and pushing. You know, it's, it's kind of tragic because we're sort of locked into being always unhappy and stressed. Um, but that's, and it doesn't have to be that way. We can find greater happiness and peace. And it's all just on offer. We just need to train ourselves. Buddhism is about training the mind. Training the mind so that you uh, uh, bring down uh, the mind that brings you unhappiness. Like you learn how to gradually unwind your uh, anger and irritation, uh, unwind your fear or anxiety. And, uh, you know, we, in Buddhism we call these delusions. And these are temporary, untrue states of mind that are not our essential self. They're like, remember that gold nugget that Buddha talked about? They're like the mm -hmm. dirt that encrusted that can be washed off through spiritual practice. So delusions or negative states of mind are not us. They're surface. Like the waves of the ocean is another analogy. You know, the waves can die down and there's still the depth and beauty of the ocean. Um, so we can, <laughs> we can be much more peaceful in our life. And just being persistent is the main thing because it gradually and easier to meditate in company than it is all by yourself so if mm -hmm. you can find a group to meditate with either our group or another group just a meditation group where you can share spiritual comradeship and practice your meditation it's a lot easier than trying to do it all by yourself you know I mean, yeah. so that's sangha spiritual community we need it we need it it's so beautiful. Um, I'm so grateful you share that um, passage also. Um, so we have about just a, a couple minutes left, and I'm wondering if you can just share uh, a very brief meditation that someone can do at home, um, whether yes. it's – yes, thank you. Yes, no, I'd be pleased to. This is something that we start every, – every class we have, we have uh, two meditations in, and this is one we'll always start it with. First of all, you pay attention to your breath and focus on the slight sensation as the breath comes in and out of your body at the tip of your nose. So watching your breath, your breath slows down and your mind starts to settle. And then you picture that on your out breath, you're breathing out any negative state, any like worry, anxiety, any irritation or anger, anything that bothers you, like breathing out your problems, breathing out your stress. You picture that that's riding out on the form of smoke on a cloud of smoke that goes far into the, uh, far into space and just disappears. And you practice doing that on every out-breath. You could do that for maybe, say, five minutes. And then you picture that on every in-breath, you breathe in beautiful spiritual light, which is the nature of positive energy. And you allow that light to just fill your whole being, especially your heart. And you picture that that light is filling your heart, relaxing your heart, healing your heart. You just uh, open to that beautiful, uh, beautiful spiritual light filling you with every in-breath. So out-breath, you breathe out any negativity, anything you don't want, any problems. In every in-breath, you breathe in beautiful, nourishing spiritual energy. So it's kind of like out with the bad and with the good. Yeah. It's very simple. It's and, it's, uh, <laughs> and that's what he's talking about when he's talking about breathing meditation for doing it 10 or 15 minutes a day. And I advise 10. Start small. Okay? Um, that's from the quote that I that I read. By doing that for t that that exact meditation for 10 or 15 minutes a day, we start our problems become less, our relationships become better, 
and a natural peace of sense of contentment and happiness naturally arises from within. Little by little, we just have to be so patient and kind with ourselves as we practice. You know, because if we're patient and kind and tolerant with ourselves, then we stay with it. We stay with it. We get the results. Okay. So that's thank you so much. Me. And then yeah. just to reiterate, ten minutes a day. So we have what um, so we have over a thousand minutes in a day, fourteen hundred. Around 1,440 right. <laughs> minutes in a day. So you think about out of 1,440 minutes in a day, just 10 minutes, just 10 minutes. Yeah. And the one thing before we end, I just wanted to say for our listeners, you know, when we talk about um, this practice, I, you know, I look at it as just like food, eating really healthy food. You crave healthy food and you stop craving yeah. like the sugary junk food. Once you start yeah. that 10 minutes of meditation practice, that's what grows because you understand, you start to feel the application of it in your life and, and how your, your thoughts become more clear and you crave them more time to meditate more. And um, yeah. that's why yeah. 10 minutes seems, it's such a small chunk in our day and if we really qualify that and how many minutes we have and then you know that you're going to grow it because you're going to love it. So thank you yeah, so much for having yeah. <laughs> time today. I'm so incredibly grateful for, um, for all of your wisdom and, and for your time today. Um, and to our listeners, she actually gave up one of her meditation classes today to be with us and, and have us be a practice. So um, I, I'm really, really grateful, and I don't take for granted your, your time. Um, for anyone that would like oh, to, I'm pleased to share knowledge, Susan. I'm very pleased to share knowledge. It sets us free. It sets us free. So I'm totally pleased. Yeah. Thank you. If you like to, thank you so much. And if you'd like to study with Helsing um, or any of the other um, teachers here in Pennsylvania, you can go to meditationpa.org. And again, if you are not in the Pennsylvania area, you can go to kadampa.org, K-A-D-A-M-P-A.org. Thank you so much for joining us again today on Ben Up, and I look forward to talking with you and sharing space with you next time. It was a pleasure, Susan. Thank you. Bye-bye. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.